This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. Of all the science fiction radio shows, Dimension X stands out in many ways. The writing was taught, and by some of the leading sci-fi writers of the day. It's always interesting to hear how life in space was perceived by writers who didn't have the knowledge we have today. The mere assumption that one could breathe on Mars, as we know now, couldn't be possible. But I think you'll find some of the moral questions of how we, as a human race, can adversely affect others interesting, to say the least. Here for your enjoyment is the episode, And the Moon Be Still as Bright. Adventures in Time and Space Told in Future Tense Dimension X Tonight, transcribed from Ray Bradbury's collection The Martian Chronicles We present and the moon be still as bright. The first three expeditions to Mars left Earth in a mushroom of flame, arced through the atmosphere and finally dwindled to tiny specks in the big eye of Mount Palomar Telescope, and then were lost to sight forever. The prearranged landing signals flashed back to Earth, and then the radios went dead. One after the other, ships had disappeared and were never heard from again. But still the rockets came. The fourth expedition emerged from the silent gulfs of space and angled down toward the floating red disk of Mars, down into an orbit as the order came to land. Stand by for deceleration. Deceleration, aye, sir. Skids down. Skids down, sir. Engine room. Engine room, aye. Landing procedure, fire one, three, and five. Aye, sir. The last blast of the bow jets broke red against the blue desert sands, and the ship slid to a halt at the edge of a vast city that reflected the icy glare of the moonlight. For a while... All was still. All right, Parkill. Open the airlock. Aye, sir. Fresh air. How about a fire, Captain Wilder? It's freezing. Later. We got work to do. Smell that air. You could get drunk on it. Say, there's an idea. Why don't we break out a bottle and celebrate? Biggs, there'll be no drinking done till we're secured. 
But uh, we're landed, Captain. Three other expeditions landed and disappeared within 24 hours. We're not relaxing security till we find out what happened to them. Maybe Martians? Exactly, Pargill. Spender, you're an archaeologist. How old would you say those buildings are? Somebody built these cities? Oh, I can't tell till I study them more closely. It's a kind of engineering we couldn't duplicate on Earth. Those thin, reed-like towers and the stone filigree wouldn't stand up under earth pressure. Beautiful, aren't they? I'm not interested in the architecture now. I want to make sure there's nothing there that might be dangerous. Mr. Hathaway. Uh, yes, sir. I want you to take a reconnaissance party into the city and find out what's there. The cities all look dead from the air, sir. They look dead, but I want to make sure. Mr. Spender, you better go with Hathaway. Yes, sir. Don't waste any time gathering relics, either. You can make an archaeological study later. Right now, I want a security report. Biggs? Yes, sir. We'll set up camp right here. No man is to go more than 50 feet from the rocket. And there'll be no celebration till Hathaway and his party report back. No, sir. It's uh, just that uh, we've been cooped up in there. That's all, Biggs. We've landed safely. We're not safe yet. Not until we know what we're up against here. We'll maintain full security till Hathaway gets back. In the sea bottoms, the wind stirred along faint vapors, and from the mountains great stone visages looked upon the silvery rocket and the small fire. The sky was black overhead as the two racing moons threw knife-edge double shadows on the desert. All rats, come and get it, ciao! Got the H, Jackie. Sawdust, smothered in cold lamb fat. <laughs> Good. I thought it was something I couldn't eat. <laughs> hey, you guys, pipe down. Captain, Mr. Hathaway's back. Uh, Captain, Captain Wallace. Over here, Mr. Hathaway. Well? Most of the city is dead, sir. Spender says it's been dead a good many thousand years. But we found one part about a mile over. What about it? People were living in it last week, sir. People? Martians. I see. Where are they now? Dead. We found the bodies. Thousands of bodies. Hadn't been dead more than ten days. What did they die of? You won't believe it. What killed them? Chicken pox. Chicken pox? Yes, I made tests. It worked differently on Martians than on Earth people. Burned them black and dried them out to brittle flakes. But where could they get chicken pox? From Earth, sir. And the other rockets did get through. Yes, sir. I don't know what the Martians did to them, but I sure know what they did to the Martians... Gave them chickenpox and wiped them out. They just didn't have any resistance to an earth disease. There aren't any of them left? There won't be any. When a thing like that starts spreading, sir, there's no stopping it anywhere. It's a thousand to one. It's killed them all. This planet is through. Incredible. Think of it, Captain. A dirty, silly child's disease like chickenpox. It isn't right. Spender, take it easy. No, it's, it's like saying the Greeks died of mumps or, or the proud Roman Empire collapsed because of athlete's foot. We didn't even give them a decent excuse for dying. We just gave them chicken pox. Spender, get hold of yourself. You didn't see those bodies, Captain. It must have been a shock, I suppose. You need a rest, a little relaxation. Martians are dead. There's nothing you can do about it now. Hey, you hear that? The Martians are all dead. Well, come on, let's break out a bottle and whoop it up. How about it, Captain? Well, all right, man. Oh, that's fine. Hathaway, seated the security guard. Yes, sir. 
Good Lord, do they have to do that now? It's been a tough trip. It's only natural they'd want to celebrate a little. Celebrate because a world died? Because a rotten little virus from Earth wiped out a whole civilization? Well, they're not thinking of Isn't that. Isn't it time later to throw old beer cans into the canals? A civilization died here. It's like butchering a pig in a churchyard. Spender, you think too much. We're lucky to get to Mars without catching a meteor in our bulkheads. Let it go at that. We're safe on Mars. The very safe one's safe on Mars. We gotta celebrate. Yahoo! Many bottles were opened and drunk. The voices got louder. The earth laughs and shouts echoing across the empty Martian sands. There was a time in New York when I ran into that blonde. Boy, what a blonde. Listen, the first thing she said... Spender listened to the wind over his ears, cool and whispering. He felt the land getting cooler. The stars drew closer, very clear. The air smelled clean and new. He looked at the cool ice of the white Martian buildings over there on the empty sea lands. <laughs> what a woman! What a woman! Hey, why don't we do with these empty bottles? Save them, there's a two-cent deposit. <laughs> Throw them away! Hey, wait! How about that building? Do the one for a buck, I can heave one right through that window. You're right. Here goes. <laughs> Bullseye! Double or nothing on the next shot? Put that bottle down, Figs. Who's that, Mr. Spender? Stop smashing those windows. What's the difference? The planet's ours now. I guess I can do anything with it that I want. Drop that bottle, I'll knock your teeth out. Yeah? Just watch me. I warned you, big head. Bender, what is this? I hit him. He's crazy, Captain. He just walked up and slugged me. Biggs wasn't doing nothing. All right, let go of him. You men, go back to your party. Spender, come with me. I like that guy. Just walks up to him and slugs me with... Spender, suppose you explain. What was the idea? Oh, the noise, the drunken brawl. I guess I was ashamed of the spectacle the whole crew was making. Where's their respect for what's happened? Their sense of what's right? Men are tired. It's been a long trip. You've got a different way of seeing things. I'm seeing things all right. I'm seeing how we'll ruin Mars. We'll rip it up, rip the skin off the way we've already ruined Earth. We Earthmen have a talent for ruining big, beautiful things. Is that why you hit Biggs? Yes, I couldn't stand the idea of them watching us make fools of ourselves. Them? The Martians. The Martians? They're dead. All dead. They know we're here. Doesn't an old thing always know when a new thing comes? We've come a long way to smash their windows and spit in their wine. Well, maybe you're right. I'm finding you $50 for that fight. Now suck in your chin. We'll go back there and play happy. Now the whole party moved out into the moonlight across the desert. They made their way into the dreaming dead city. The light of the racing twin moons glinted on the barrel of a pistol, the long blade of a machete, the round, gurgling shape of a raised bottle. Their shadows under them were double shadows on the ice-blue sand. 
They were waiting, waiting for something to stir in the dead city, something to rise, some ancient ancestral shape to come galloping across the vacant sea bottom on an ancient armored steed of impossible lineage, of unbelievable derivation. Look at it, Captain. Down those avenues in the mist. You can almost see them. The mind's eye populated the dead city. Each window was given a person who leaned from it and waved slowly, as if under some timeless water, at some moving form in the fathoms of space below the moon-silvered towers. There were faint murmurs of sound, and odd animals scurrying across the grey-red sands. The wind blew in from the dead sea bottom and brushed through the silvery wire filigree of the towers. A strange music drifted down to the double-shadowed streets, a thin, haunted music that played as it had played through the uncounted years of time. Nobody moved. The moons held and froze them. The wind beat slowly around them. Hey, out there! You people in the city! Pigs! Boy, I just wanted to make a little noise. Come on. They built this city thousands of years ago. And now where are they? How did they die? Who cares? They're dead. It's good enough for me. Lord Byron. What? Lord Byron, an old 19th century poet. He wrote a poem that fits this city. Might have been written by the last Martian. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night. Will the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. For the sword outwears the sheath, and the soul outwears its breast, and the heart must pause to breathe, and love itself must rest. Though the night was made for loving, and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. Without a word, the Earthmen stood in the center of the city. It was a clear night. There was not a sound except the music of the wind. At their feet lay a tile court worked into the shapes of ancient animals and images. And they stood there, silvered by the double moons beneath the crystal towers of Mars. And then Biggs was sick, and the sour stench of liquor filled the cool air. The men of Earth had come to Mars. And Spender turned and walked away into the city, alone in the moonlight, never once stopping to look back. That you, Hathaway? Yes, sir. My trick on watch, watch, sir. What time is it? Oh, 0400. Any orders, sir? No, I'll stay on watch. You turn in. Aren't you sleeping, sir? I'll wait for Spender. He didn't come in? No. He's crazy. Walking away into the shadows, he didn't even look back. Spender is a strange man. He's crazy, sir. How's the rest of the crew? Sleeping it off. Biggs had DTs, but he's calmed down now. You can go back below, Hathaway. I'll take your watch. Captain Wilder, do you think Spendle will be coming in before morning? I don't know. You know, sir, I don't think he's ever coming back. 
That's the way I feel about him, sir. He'll never come back. It was a morning that might have been a Monday, or a Tuesday, or any day on Mars. Biggs was on the canal rim, his feet hung down in the cool water, soaking, while he took the sun in his face. What are you doing back here, Biggs? Didn't you go out with the search party? Yeah, I come back. I got a blister. Sure, sure. What do you mean? Look. Look, Cherokee, you see that? <laughs> anyway, I had enough search in four days hunting for that screwball spender. Didn't find him yet, huh? Nah, good riddance. Oh, my feet, I'm gonna soak them good. If I was wild, I wouldn't worry about that nut spender. Let him go. He's a crackpot anyway. A little foggy upstairs, I guess. Why don't you take your feet out of that canal, Biggs? I gotta make coffee out of that water. Coffee? You call that stuff coffee? I had a motorcycle once that dripped grease that tasted better than that... Wait a minute. Biggs, look over there. Where? By that bush. There's someone there. Hey, it's him. Hey, Spender! Spender? Yeah, he's coming over. Why didn't he stay lost, the crazy jerk? Hi, Spender. Long time no see. Hello, Cherokee. I've been exploring some ruins. <laughs> you and them ruins. You're like a dog in a, in a boneyard. What's the matter? Where you been? Up in the hills. What would you say if I told you I found a Martian? Huh, where? Yeah. Never mind. Let me ask you a question. How would you feel if you were a Martian and people came to your land and started to tear it up? I know how I'd feel. I've got Cherokee blood in me. My grandfather told me lots of things about the way they kicked the Indians around in the Oklahoma Territory. If there's any Martian around, I'm all for him. How about you, Biggs? They're dead. They're all dead. A good thing, too. Well, I found a Martian up in a dead town in the hills. I've been reading their books. They're easy to understand. I've learned their language. And I found this Martian. He said, give me your boots, and I did. He said, give me your uniform, and I gave him my uniform. You're crazy, Spender. Hey, Cherokee, he's crazy. And the Martian said, give me your gun, and I gave him my gun, and then he said, come along and watch what happens. And the Martian walked down into camp, and he's here now. I don't see no Martian. I'm the last Martian. What? Biggs, I'm going to kill you. They cut it out. Kind of a lousy joke, is it? Stand up and take it. Hey, put that gun away, Spender. Hey, cut it, Spender. Oh, put that gun away. <laughs> You're joking. You're kidding, huh? Spender! Ah, ah, ah. He's dead. Killed him. You can come with me, Cherokee. You know how the Martians would feel. You can be in this with me. You killed him, you... You just killed him. He deserved it. You're crazy. But, well, maybe I am. But, but you can come with me. Come with you? For no. what? Uh, go on, go on. Get out of here, you, you, you crazy murderer. But all of them. I thought you'd understand. I thought you'd remember what happened to your own people. You get out of here, you, you, you crazy Don't murderer. Don't reach for that gun. <laughs> Both dead, Captain Wilder. 
Who's missing? Only Spender. It must have been him, sir. Why didn't he come and talk to me? Why didn't he... Should have talked to me. I'd have shot his brains out. That's what I'd have done. He took him by surprise. There's no sign of a struggle. Hathaway, break out the arms locker. Issue pistols, rifles, and grenades. Yes, sir. You better get the Bible out of the navigation chest. We'll have to bury these two. Parkhill. Aye, sir. You start digging a grave. How about Spender? We'll have to go up in the hills and find him. Just let me at him with my bare hands. Crazy murdering louse. That's enough, Parkhill. Man is sick. He must be. Sick my eye. Now grab a shovel. Start digging. Spender saw the thin dust rising in the valley, and he knew the pursuit was beginning. The sun burned farther up the sky, and the blue sand drifted lazily across the sea bottom below. He sat beside a quiet pool, 10,000 years old, and held a silver book. Through the house played the strange wind music of ancient Mars, and he heard voices whisper in his mind. I hear you. I've always heard you, even down there on Earth. I won't, and what's the use? Cliff, what for? To see them tear down your temples and put up hot dog stands? They've seen me. They know I'm up here. There's Wilder now. Got him right in my sights. Funny he hasn't ordered me to use grenades. He could lob one right up here and blow me to bits. And maybe the captain thinks I'm too nice to be blown to bits. He wants my death to be clean. Ah, just one bullet hole in me, nothing messy. And why? Because he understands me. Kill, kill, kill. He's the only one in the crew who ever kill. did. Well, at least I can do the same for him. Kill, just kill. one bullet in his heart, a nice clean kill, death. Kill. All I have to do is pull the trigger and then... <laughs> it's no use, I can't do it to him. Can you hear me, Spender? Yeah, I hear you, Captain. What do you want? Talk. Truce. All right, come on up. Leave your gun down there and keep your hands up. Spender, are you there? Over here. It's quite a climb. Mind if I sit down? Cigarette? Thanks. Light? Yeah, got my own. It's warm. Yeah, it is. You comfortable up here in the hills? Quite. How long do you think you can hold out? About 12 men's worth. Why didn't you kill all of us this morning when you had the chance? You could have. I know. I, I got sick. After I started killing people, I realized they were just fools and I shouldn't be killing them. But it was too late, so I came up here where I could get angry again. Why did you do it? Because I've seen what... I've seen that what these Martians had was just as good as anything we'll ever hope to have. They stopped where we should have stopped a hundred years ago. They knew how to combine science and art and religion. They knew how to live with dignity and peace. And for that reason, you started shooting people? When I was a kid, my folks took me to visit Mexico City. I'll always remember the way my father acted, loud and big. 
My mother didn't like the people because they were dark and didn't wash enough. I can see my mother and my father coming to Mars and acting the same way. Anything that's strange is no good to us. We aren't fit to take over this planet. But kill two men. What could I do? It's me against the whole Earth. Isn't it enough they've ruined one planet? Now they want to ruin this one. I'll kill you all off, Wilder. That'll delay the next rocket five years. And I'll kill them, too. I'm lucky I'll live to be 60. I'll meet every expedition that lands on Mars. I'll be very friendly. I'll explain that our rocket blew up one day. And I'll kill them off. I'll save Mars for half a century. And by then, maybe the Earth people will give up. You got it all planned. Yes. Yet you're outnumbered. We already have you surrounded. In an hour, you'll be dead. I, I found an underground passage that'll take me back into the hills, Wilder. I'll go back there, and then I'll pick you off one by one. We'll see. It's a nice town you got here, Spender. Beautiful. I'd like to live here. You can. But join me. You're not like them. I'll show you what a good life these people had. I'll play you an old reel of Martian music that must be at least 50,000 years old, a kind of music you've never heard in your life. That sounds wonderful. But I can't stay with you. Sorry, Spender. I'm sorry this is happening. I guess you'd better go back now so you can start your attack. I guess so. Captain, I... I won't kill you. When it's all over, you'll still be alive. Then maybe you'll change your mind. No. There's too much earth blood in me. I may even agree with you about all this. But that doesn't change what I've got to do. You won't stay? No. This is your last chance, Spender. You're sick. Come along with me quietly. No. Look. One last thing. If you win... Do me a favor. Try to see that they don't tear this planet apart. Right. If, if it helps, just think of me as a very crazy fellow who went for Cirque one summer day. It'll be easier on you that way. I'll think it over. So long, Spender. Bye, Captain. Good luck. We'll go after him now. Hathaway, you take the right. I'll lead on the left. You have to kill him. He won't come down. Make it a clean shot if you can. Get it over with. I'll blow his bloody brains out. No, Park Hill. His bloody the heart. brains. You heard what I said. Through the heart. Now let's go get him. They spread out again, walking and then running on the hot hillside places where there would be sudden cool grottos that smelled of moss and sudden open blasting places that smelled of sun on stone. The men ran and ducked, and ran and squatted in the shadows. Blow his brains out! Just one slug, that's all he needs! Captain Wilder hugged the rock warm by the sun. He gasped, for the air was thin and not meant for running. Spender lay at the top of the hill, and a gap in the rocks showed the white of his shirt against the shadows. 
Wilder looked at the towers of the little clean Martian village like sharply carved chess pieces lying in the afternoon. He saw the rocks and the interval between where Spender's chest was revealed. Go on, Spender, get out. You've only got a few seconds to escape, get out to the caves and come back later. Go now, Spender. Or I've got to end it. I've got to think I'm right and pull the trigger. Go now. Get out. I'll get him. Slug in the head. I'll blow his bloody... No, Park Hill. Put down that gun. I've got to do this myself. Spender. Why didn't you get out? Why? Why? They buried him in that ancient valley town where the music of the wind played on through the days and the nights. They laid him in an ancient silver sarcophagus with waxes and wines which were 10,000 years old, his hands folded on his chest. The last they saw of him was his peaceful face in the cold silver light of the racing twin moons. The captain found the poem in Spender's pocket and he read it before he shut the marble door. So we'll go no more a-roving so late into the night. Though the heart be still as loving and the moon be still as bright. Though the night was made for loving and the day returns too soon, yet we'll go no more a-roving by the light of the moon. afternoon, Park Hill did some target practice in one of the dead cities, shooting out the crystal windows and blowing the tops off the fragile towers. Captain Wilder caught Park Hill and nearly knocked his teeth out. All of you regular listeners to Dimension X will be interested to know that our show is changing its day and time of broadcast over this station. Starting early in November, we'll be back at the new time. We suggest you watch your local newspaper and be sure to join us in about four weeks for a new series of adventures into the unknown world of tomorrow. The world of... Dimension X. Dimension X is transcribed, and the moon be still as bright. Adapted for radio by Ernest Canoy from the original story by Ray Bradbury. Featured in the cast were Alexander Scorby as Spender, Wendell Holmes as Captain Wilder, and your host and narrator for the story, Norman Rose. Music by Albert Berman, engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is directed by Edward King. This is Robert Warren speaking. Stay tuned for Red Skelton next on Theater of the Mind. You're listening to Theater of the Mind on Zoomer Radio, AM 740 and 96.7 FM in downtown Toronto. Red Skelton embodied many characters, and tonight you'll hear from one of my personal favorites, Clem Cadiddlehopper, and his adventure with the fire department. program.
program starring Red Skelton, Dave Rose and his orchestra, our singing star Anita Ellis, Verna Felton, Lorene Tuttle, Pat McGeehan, and yours truly, Rod O'Connor. <laughs> From Metro Golden Mayor, we present the star of the Raleigh Cigarette Program, Red Skelton. Ladies and gentlemen, hiya, Rod. Hiya, Red. Say, this is National Newsboy Week, and we have as honored guest tonight newsboys representing the 32 papers in this district. That's right. These fellows here tonight competed in a contest to see who rated the highest average in sales, and the boys with the highest mark got a special prize. And these newsboys got to come to the Red Skelton broadcast. No, they got the booby prize. <laughs> you know, being a newsboy is a great profession, Red. Many of our national figures got their start that way. Yeah, I'll never forget my corner. He used to stand here, extra, extra. He always yelled, extra, extra. Of course, I charged six cents for a paper. You know. <laughs> Anyhow, I, I had a racket selling papers. I used to stand on the corner and yell, read all about it. Twenty-nine people swindle, read all about it. Guy would buy a paper and he'd read it and he'd look through it and he'd say, I don't see anything about 29 people swindle. I said, I know. <laughs> read all about it. Thirty people swindle. <laughs> Making notes down there. <laughs> you know, I had a paper out when I was a kid. Yeah, me too, you know. Oh, many's the time I couldn't deliver the paper, and my mother would uh, deliver it for me, you know. That's where they got the old saying, does your mother know your route? <laughs> I'm proud of that. That ain't even here. <laughs> Well, anyhow, Mother would get on my bicycle, and, uh, uh, Mother would get on the bicycle, and, um... Well, go ahead. Well, I'm lost, and I can't remember the name. <laughs> <laughs> all right, she couldn't write it anyhow. Go ahead. <laughs> well, the newsboys certainly render a great service to our nation. You said it. If it weren't for the, uh, that morning paper delivered, why, this country's uh, divorce rate would double. Well, how do you figure? Well, a fella uh, gets up in the morning, he's got his paper there at the breakfast table. If Without it, he'd just have to sit there and look at his wife. <laughs> and the way some of the women look at the look at the breakfast table, I tell you, well, it's ABC. Figured out for yourself. <laughs> well, all kidding aside, I think any boy who delivers the newspapers realizes the true meaning of freedom. You said it, brother, and Winchell didn't do bad with it the other night either. <laughs> You know, a free opinion is really a wonderful thing. For example, this morning I read each of the 32 newspapers and the, that these young men represent, and, they, and each paper agreed on one thing. What was that, Red? Today is September the 30th. <laughs> And now, Anita Ellis, what are you going to sing, honey? Body and soul. <laughs> My heart is sad and lonely For you I sigh For you, dear only I'm all for you, body and soul. I spend my days in longing and wondering why it's me or wrong. 
can't believe it. It's hard to conceive it that you turn away romance. Are you pretending it looks like the ending? Unless I could have one more chance to prove you my life a wreck you're making. You know I'm yours for just the taking. Volume 3. You can take five. I think they're awake again now. (laughs) And now, Chapter 3 of Radio's first nighttime serial, uh, The Life of a Fireman. This one's entitled Fire Prevention. Lombardi. <laughs> yes, sir, boy, here I am, nature's gift to mankind. <laughs> Only thing, they ain't take the rappings off yet. <laughs> well, sure, here it is, the last day of September, and tomorrow will be the first of October. <laughs> That's quite a coinkadinky. <laughs> I remember the same thing happened last year. Yeah, what do you want, Ma? Well, come here. I don't want the whole neighborhood to know our business. No. <laughs> come in, Mater. <laughs> what do you want, Ma? Clem, did you go down and see about that dog catcher's job? <laughs> I sure did. Well, what happened? They locked me up with the mongrels. <laughs> Clem, how stupid can you get? Well, I don't know. I ain't really put my mind to it yet. <laughs> what do you want to see me about, Mother? Well, look it. A man was here. Listen, Clem. Yeah. A man was here from the fire department yesterday. He says this house is a fire hazard and all the trash has got to go. <laughs> he said all the trash has to go? Yes. Does that mean that Pater will be leaving? Well, 
He said slums was caused by laziness. Yeah, well, of all the insulting things. <laughs> That's just what I told him. I ain't been so insulted since the day you was born. <laughs> Boy, I'll bet that made him mad. Well, it, it didn't show if it did. I also told him that it's not my fault we live in such a rubbish heap. It's because I've got such a lazy, no-good, stupid son. Oh, you didn't tell him that. I most certainly did. You might give the folks the wrong impression of me, you know. They might think you're kidding and you're not. Well, help me clean up a little around here. Okay, I'll start by picking up this bit of string here on the ground. Mm. Mm. It's resisting me. Clem, that string is your own shoelace. Must be a raveling from my long underwear because I ain't wearing any shoes. Here comes a red automobile. Well, how gaudy can people get, anyhow? Oh, that's a fire truck. Well, that's what they use to go to blazes. Yeah. <laughs> it's used to go to blazes. Go to blazes. It's a fine way for a mother to talk to her son. <laughs> Figured I could make something out of that. <laughs> Howdy doody. Howdy. Are you Mr. Fiddlechopper? The name ain't Fiddlechopper, it's Cadiddlehopper. How do you spell Cadiddlehopper? Hmm? How do you spell Cadiddlehopper? Say, Fiddlechopper ain't a bad name of daddy. <laughs> you can call me Smitty if you want to, you know. Uh, what do you want, neighbor? Well, I'm here to give you a final warning about these fire hazards. Yeah. There's really no excuse for it except plain laziness and carelessness. Now, you aren't lazy. You want to bet? <laughs> Don't be too sure. This just happens to be my day to stand up. You know, Clem, if I didn't see you, I, I wouldn't believe you. Well, I've looked in the mirror and I ain't convinced myself. Look, Flem, I'm going to leave this pamphlet about fire prevention with oh. you, and I want you to digest every word of it. Well, I'll try. Food's so high, I'll eat anything now. <laughs> I want you to read it. Maybe it'll smarten you up on fire prevention. Me read this uh, pamphlet here? That's right. You want me to read it, huh? That's right. You sure you got the right house? <laughs> Look, I, I know how to take precautions. When I build a fire in a fireplace, I always put newspapers down to keep the sparks from going on the rug. Yes, sir, boy. And I never throw a lighted cigarette away. I swallow it. Doesn't that make you awfully sick? It helps. You have your incinerator a safe distance from the house. Well, of course. You think I'm stupid? Don't have an insinuator right up here with a house. Got it out there next to the garage, see it? Yes, the garage. Yeah. Well, don't burn anything in the incinerator until you move it away from the garage. Well, I already burned some stuff this morning, some incidentals like kerosene rags and small 22 caliber bullets. <laughs> <laughs> 
Good heavens. What happened? Hmm? What happened? Well, should I know? I've been too busy building a new garage. <laughs> well, uh, what's in those cans over there? Well, one of them cans has got kerosene in it, and the other one's got gasoline in it for the tractor. Mm-hmm. How do you know which is which? Well, it's very simple. I just pour one of them into the tractor, and, and, and then I take a swig out of the other one. And if the tractor don't go, boy, you ought to see me plow up that 40 acres. Mrs. Cadettlehopper, what kind of a stove do you cook on? Well, we've got a gas stove, but it's not too good. <laughs> Every time I cook on it, the flames shoot out and send some of my hair off. Yeah, about three more pork chops, and we're going to start calling her Mount Baldy. <laughs> That's too fast for a more. He didn't get it. <laughs> the gas was leaking awful bad, but my boy Clem fixed that. Yep, I fixed it. There's not a sign of gas now. How'd you do it? Didn't pay the bill. Well, uh, as a public servant, I want to give you a little advice. Oh? You should check everything that endangers your life as well as community property. Oh? And above all, clean up the trash in this yard. Hmm. It only takes a few minutes to be neat. Well, you know, now that makes sense. There's no sense to it for slums and stuff like that. And I'm one of the guys that's causing it. I'll have this stuff cleaned up in no time. Oh, thanks, Clem. Your neighbors will appreciate it, too. Oh, uh... Clem, if you're going to burn anything in the yard, no matter what it is, be sure and connect up your garden hose. Or have a bucket of water handy, just in case. Okie okay, okie okay. Well, now to clean up around here. Oh, this is the way we sweep the yard, sweep the yard, sweep the yard. Well, let's see. What's the worst piece of rubbish laying around here? Well, let's see. I'll have to forget that. I won't fit in that insinuator. Incinerator. Boy, you give them writers a raise and they'll buy a dictionary every time. <laughs> well, I'll just start here by tearing down this old awning. I'll just rip it down. Well, now, I don't know whether that was my overhauls or the awning. Well, either way, it got kind of cooler all of a sudden. Dave Rose and his orchestra play his arrangement of humoresque from the motion picture Joan Crawford. <laughs>
Chapter three in the scrapbook is entitled The Babysitter. <laughs> Then again, maybe they don't. Then again, I don't know why I'm so concerned about it. I'm going to do it anyhow. <laughs> oh, boy, I wonder who I'll trap this time. I think I'll call up the Hollywood Bowl and ask them if they need any pin boys over there. Junior. Oh, inner's the heavy. So, you've been talking on that telephone again. Well, what makes you think I had? What's that you're holding in your hand? Me bubble gun. The other hand. Well, what do you know to carry for? <laughs> now, who stuck that thing in my hand when I wasn't listening? Well, you come into my room where I can keep an eye on you. Okay. Oh, boy, you should have been with me. I was down in the street and I was playing yes, down there. And Skid fell in a mud puddle. Of course, I help him alone. Sit down, sit down. Just sit down while I put my makeup on. Okay. You know, I like to watch you get yourself all pretty. Uh, do you What are you putting that grease on your face for? Does it squeak? <laughs> Cold cream. Well, why don't you wash it? I do wash, but this keeps the wrinkles away. That's just supposed to keep the wrinkles away? Yes. I got news for you, kiddo. <laughs> you had better go down to the corner store and get double your money back. Anyway, it keeps the crow's feet away from my eyes. Yeah, it might keep the crow's feet away from your eyes, but it don't do much for that pelican's beak under your chin. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, now, you're going what, to get it. Don't you touch me. Don't you hit me. You lay a mitt on me, I tell. You'll tell what? Oh, oh, I know all about you, kiddo. You just as much as touch me with your little pinky, that's all. <laughs> Let's go ahead. Boy, I will tell on you. I tell everybody that you used to be the sword swallow with a sideshow. Why, I was no such thing. Oh, no. no. Hey, Bernie, you want another sword? No, give me a table knife. I'm on a dime. <laughs> You won't tell her either because you're too sweet for that. You're too kind because you know she gets me a spanking and you're just a sweet old orchid gatherer. You wouldn't do the thing like that. Oh, well then, just behave. Okay. <laughs> they sure fall for that muffled duffel, don't they? <laughs> hey, what you getting all dressed up for? Where are you going? To a gin rummy party with your mother and I dread it. Well, if you don't want to go, why don't you let Grandpa go? Oh, he can't play gin. Well, let him take it some other way. <laughs> Who's going to take care of me? The babysitter. You mean that big fat girl that lives in our icebox? 
Boy, what a wacket she's got. All she does for 50 cents an hour is to put me to bed and then go down and raid the icebox, you know. And she sits around reading them mushy love stories all the time. Don't bring good literature, you know, like Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers and such like that. The mushy love stories she brings. And then once in a while she gets to reading real interested like that and she jumps up in the air and screams, you know. Well, what does she scream about? The hot food I give her. <laughs> She put you to bed. Yeah, so did she. <laughs> hey, why don't you stay with me, Namo? I don't like her. I, I only like her just half. I mean, half I like her and half I don't. But the half I don't is bigger than the half I does. Well, I'd love to, dear, but there's no way out of it. Oh, you just mean you don't love me no more, well, that's I, all. I do love you, Junior. Why, you're my whole life. Yeah, then why are you always saying you'll be the death of me yet? Yeah. <laughs> I know your type. You're just fickle, that's all, you know. I, I know the way you feel about me, okay. You go your way, and I'll go my way. And I'll get in trouble before you. <laughs> now, you stop acting so silly. Yeah, take me with you, will no, you? No, I can't. You're too little to stay up late. Well, you can tell everybody I am a midget. Tell them I do husband. Tell them I took a bath in alum and I shrunk. No, they'd never believe you. No, well, maybe I could shave and grow a mustache or something. You're too young to have a mustache. Oh, I don't know. I got a widow fuzz on me lip now. What? Yes. Let's see. Oh, Junior, you do have fuzz on your lip. Oh, what's your mother going to do? Oh, probably hide the peaches where I can't reach them. <laughs> oh, yes, Mummy, doll. Oh, you look so pretty today. Oh, do you really think I'm pretty, dear? Yes, I do. I love your long golden hair and the short black roots. Oh, <laughs> uh, Mummy. Why, hey, Mummy, can Nemo stay home with me tonight? No, she dear. Tells me to... No, the babysitter's coming. Well, you better tell her to stop sitting on this baby or she's going to get stuck with a pin. <laughs> While we're on the subject, I want you to be nicer to her when she's here. Uh-huh. Last time, you pulled her hair. Well, how did I know it was going to come off? <laughs> Goodness, you know, I, I was nice. I always remove my hat before I bite that babysitter. I had to push Oh, gentleman. Junior, you must be good now. Uh-huh. And another thing, before you go to sleep, don't forget to say your prayers. I'll say them. Did you say your prayers last night? Yes, ma'am. I didn't hear you. I wasn't talking to you. <laughs> Talking stupid. Well, now, I is not stupid. I is smart. You just asked me a question. All right. If there were four pieces of cake in the cupboard and you ate yeah. one, what would you have? A spanking. <laughs> that proves you're stupid. The answer is not a spanking. It isn't. Well, that was the answer yesterday afternoon, Kato. <laughs> Junior, come away from that fishbowl. You know, I can't figure it out. Them fish stay down that water all day long and they never drown. Fish do fine underwater. They yeah. breathe it through their gills. Through their gills? Screen actors? Hey, I want a pair of gills (laughs) I want a pair of gills so I can breathe underwater, too Oh, Junior, now don't be silly No, I want a pair of gills I want a pair of gills Well, at least I got something anyhow Look at this silly fish And stop making faces at the goldfish They started it (laughs) It's no wonder we can't keep a babysitter Well, I don't care I'd rather stay by myself anyhow Give me the 50 cents You folks don't love me anymore anyhow I could just stay here and and, and play with the matches And burn the house down I could barbecue myself That's what I could do Hot Dog Junior, they would call me And I would get myself all barbecued And I'd crawl inside a loaf of bread And sprinkle myself with mustard Oh, no, no, no I scared me down. Poor baby. Yes, little heart. I don't like that baby better because she don't like me. Then you'll have to try to make her like you. And here's what I want you to do, too. You were bad the last time she was here. When she gets here tonight, I want you to kiss her 
and tell her you're sorry. Well, I will not do it. <laughs> I will not kiss her. I know she's pretty, but I don't want to kiss her. Why? Well, because come outside now. I tell you, I don't what? want I don't want your mother to hear this. She's at the age where she picks things up. We'll be right back now. Now, what's he up to? Of all things. Mother, would you mind taking care of Junior? Not going to the party tonight. I'd love to take care of him. Where's the phone? Here it is. How come it's off the hook? I had it ready for you an hour ago. Oh. Oh. Operator. Why doesn't she answer? Well, you're talking in the ear part. You're talking in the ear. What? Operator. Operator, 4936. I'm sorry you had to give up your evening number. It's a pleasure, dear. Hello. Agnes, you don't have to bother coming over to take care of Junior tonight. Goodbye. It worked, it worked, it worked. Uh, what else? It worked. What on earth did you tell her? Well, when she said I had to kiss the babysitter, I mm-hmm. said to her, I'm not going to kiss her because she might slap me the way she did Pop. Oh, Junior. <laughs> you didn't. <laughs> You're kidding. Oh, you keep laughing. <laughs> you better have Pop to do the same thing. <laughs> Thank you for listening. Tomorrow night, it's Let George Do It, followed by A Day in the Life of Dennis Day. Thanks to Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a great night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.